My name is Dave Hollenbach, the host of From Members to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. I've found that it isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how we respond. Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. Today, I'm speaking with Eric Winters. He is the author of Swipe Right on Your Best Self. We are going to talk about uh, three human predicaments, three critical foundations, three essential mindsets for courageous action. I believe these are topics that are covered in your book. And uh, also, uh, Eric is a, a leadership coach. He hails from Sydney, Australia. Originally, you were, you were born in, in England. Uh, you, it's true. <laughs> you originally were from the southeast of England. Uh, I, before we get into talking about your book, I kind of want to get a feel for your life growing up, maybe some of your influences, and then really what led you to, to head south to Australia? Mm. Well, it's, it's quite a lot of things which are attractive about Australia, which brought me down here, but let's go go back. I grew up on the south coast of England, Dave. And I have to say I had a very happy childhood hunting for crabs in rock pools by the seaside, looking for shrimps and uh, yeah, having adventures by the sea. So uh, my, my mother was the, the, the main caretaker of the family after my father unfortunately passed away when I was five. So I, I grew up in the presence of a very strong resourceful, hardworking woman. So I'd have to say, I, I think uh, looking back that my mother would have been a, a very key influence on my life. We grew up certainly with the legend of my father. So he wasn't there in person, but his legend lived on. He'd been a, a second world war fighter pilot uh, and had five kills to his name which makes me feel slightly embarrassed today. I've got a lot of German friends, Dave, yeah. and you know, we're such good friends today. It's hard to imagine there was a time when we were at each other's throats, but that's how it was back then. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he was a very courageous guy. And so I grew up with his stories of his daring do. Uh, so yeah, not there physically, but uh, the story lived on. And I had a, a great time in the Southeast, growing up with my uh, my brother, a uh, little brother. But ultimately, I left to go to Edinburgh in Scotland. It's about 400 miles north of, uh, of, of, of the south of England where I was born. And I went up there actually to learn about ecology. I thought, Dave, I was going to be the next David Attenborough. That's to say, I imagined myself, I had this vision that I would inevitably end up on wildlife programs hunched in small in front of small tiny creatures lurking in the background breeding and feeding and all the rest of it but it never happened astonishingly you may not have seen me on any wildlife programs because it, it never happened instead <laughs> i joined the world of computer consultancy steve Irwin beat you out right so yes that could it should have been me something went wrong but instead, I have indulged in my love of speaking and explaining and uh, sharing information. And I've done that for the first 20 years with computer stuff. So I took a, a real pleasure in taking complex ideas from the world of technology and making them accessible to others. And I lived in Scotland for eight years doing that, introducing new technology to, to customers, big organizations, the, the banks and the universities, it, yeah, making the complex accessible. Then I did that for uh, three years in Munich, 
in Germany, had a wonderful time living and uh, eating and loving and leading in Munich. Wonderful city. If any of your listeners have got a yen to travel there when we can do it. Wonderful, wonderful city. The mountains are just 30 minutes away from the city and you can see them. You can look south and see these towering peaks. It's a beautiful, beautiful city with fabulous countryside. It's, uh, and I funny, spend... it's funny that you should mention Munich, the story I was telling you earlier about my, my visit to Paris uh, mm. was preceded by a week in Munich and then just an hour northwest of Munich is Hollenbach, Germany. Which... Where the Hollenbachs originate from. Well, you I don't, I don't think so. I, I just no. think that, yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's a fairly modern little village. I, I don't think that it actually got incorporated until like, you know, the mid 1900s. Uh. <laughs> Even so, but what lovely countryside, isn't it, Dave? It's a, just yeah, a, a tremendous place to be. I had three really good years there, training people and consulting in the field of, of IT. And I had another two years in the Middle East, in Abu Dhabi, very different culture, different world uh, you know, altogether there. But I lived and worked amongst people from, from Syria, from Egypt, from Sudan, uh, local Emiratis, all sorts of people. I even had to work amongst the French, Dave. We were talking about France earlier on. There were French people there as well, and, and some Americans. It was very, multicultural and it was very healthy i've got to say it did me a lot of good to be immersed in so many different cultures different ways of doing things so it was uh, it, it kind of woke me up out of my uk centric mind view a very healthy thing to do and then i came to uh, australia and I, I spent 18 years working in it and consultancy doing the same thing training uh, people explaining complex ideas, facilitating and uh, implementing IT solutions. But the thing was, Dave, it didn't matter where I was in the world. I was seeing, seeing something which puzzled me, and it was this. The world of IT, there's a lot of pressure on. Often things are not working, okay? So when you're managing the uh, computer system for the bank, say, and their ATMs, that dispense cash, when they stop working, a lot of phones start ringing, I can tell you, in the IT companies, a lot of phones. When the Qantas ticketing system stops working and it's using the equipment that you're managing, there's a lot of phones start ringing. And under those circumstances, I would see very, very intelligent, very smart, very experienced managers do one of two things. And it didn't matter what the culture was, and it didn't matter the experience or the intelligence. They'd do one of two things. They would either step up to the challenge, think clearly, manage themselves, get the best out of themselves, and get the best, best out of their teams, be able to work really effectively with others. Or they would panic a little bit, get a little bit anxious about all those phones, They'd contaminate their teams with their anxiety. They'd all begin to panic too. And problems would take five, six, seven times as long to fix. And it wasn't cleverness. You know, these people were equally smart. There was something else going on. And it wasn't the culture either. So I was curious. And I took a deep, deep dive into the, the science of human performance. So I immersed myself in what do we know? What do we really know about when people work at their best? What do we know about the circumstances, the contexts that support us all to do great work? But also, what do we know about the strategies and techniques that people can use to manage themselves when challenge arrives? It, it's not hard to do good work when things are easy. You know, actually, most people can do pretty good work when, when the going's easy. Right. What's interesting is when the going gets tough, uh, when the heat is on, when the pressure's on, when things are challenging. And it turns out there are well-known sets of skills and circumstances that, that support us. And they are skills, Dave. These aren't things that you either got and you were born with or you haven't got. 
they're just skills and they're skills that everyone can learn. And that's why I wrote the book to try to pull together all these ideas, make them hugely accessible, extremely easily understood and share them with, ev with everyone. So we can all meet challenges more effectively. And at the end of the day, I'd say the quality of our lives depends upon how well we can meet challenges. The ones we choose for ourselves, our relationships, our businesses, our, uh, our careers, our growth, but also the challenges we didn't choose for ourselves. Pandemics come to mind, right? <laughs> Business yeah. challenges, reorganizations. So it really matters how we meet challenges. And that's what I, what I work on. Before we dive a little bit deeper into the book, I, I just I think it's pretty awesome you, how you presented the story uh, about the legend of your father and mm. the strength of your mother and you know gr growing up you know on the seashore and you know really the adventures and and you mentioned you have a, a brother you just have one sibling i've actually got a sister too i've got a, a sister who uh is, she's actually 16 years older than i am so she's a big sister much bigger sister <laughs> as it were <laughs> she wouldn't like me if she if she wouldn't want to hear that but she, <laughs> she's now and she is more mature and uh, she's in the southeast of england she's still there and uh, yeah we're in touch via uh whatsapp or facetime about once a week uh the uk is having a very different experience to australia right now with this pandemic so i'm uh i'm, I'm keen to stay abreast of what's happening there how people are coping and yeah. just to stay in touch with her so yes yeah, sister and my brother who lives kind of in the in the middle of the uk and and so growing up uh, i would imagine you all are fairly tight and then you're your sister being older, I would say you probably have pretty strong female influence on, on your life as you were growing up. I would say that's right. Yes, overwhelmingly a, a very strong female influence. And you have to wonder, and you can only wonder, Dave, yeah, what difference did that make? It, we, we don't get to choose both paths. You know what, I think I'll rewind and I'll change my past and I'll take a different course. We, we never know, but yeah, there was a very uh, strong female influence, very intelligent, smart women, both of them, they're very clever women. And uh, yeah. Do, do you feel like maybe that influence helped how you well, are able to explain things and communicate to others? Uh, no, I I put that down to, to being, a little bit slow and dim-witted, Dave, myself. Now, because I'm slow and dim-witted, I like people to explain things very clearly to me for me to get them. And this is a, this is a rare advantage of being a bit thick, is that uh, it means that when I communicate something to somebody else, I just assume they would also like it to be clear. I assume they'd like it to make sense. <laughs> so I, I try to cut out the fluff. I get to the point quite quickly. So uh, I'm sure I can attribute a lot of good things to being growing up amongst women, but I'm not sure clarity of communication it was one of them. Okay. Yeah, no, <laughs> I'm just, I'm curious because I, I tend to, I, I talk about many of the leadership qualities that, that women uh, are, are stronger than men most of the time. And, and a lot of the, a lot of that is the ability to communicate clear. Uh, by and large, women are are better communicators than men, and uh, and then you know more empathetic, better like with relationships typically. Um, but I, I just I thought it was kind of a neat uh, little connection there that you would go into this line of business where you're you're the guy that explains the complex and makes it to where people can understand it better and yeah just, you could you could be onto something you could be onto something and there's two parts of what i do so one is the sharing of information 
and it's a lot of it's leadership facilitation so i'm i'm guiding exercises amongst leaders helping them to build skills but the other part of my work is coaching and when you're a coach you are you're, you're a professional listener apart from many other things and you are paying attention and you are developing empathy and rapport and th these are skills which often women have more developed than guys so yet yeah, perhaps perhaps my coaching side of my work has been supported and built and promoted by uh exposure to yeah people who had empathy and rapport and were good listeners yeah perhaps that's just an interesting thought mm. yeah but um so let's Let's dive into your book and uh, I guess maybe start with the, the, the three human predicaments. Mm, yes, it's unfortunately, if you're a human, we, we've got a lot of predicaments. There's, it's, this is not an easy ride. I think we were very badly misled growing up, Dave, with, with, with one way or another, with these fairy right. tales of what a wonderful life it would be and how we'd all live happily ever after. It, the reality is life is just a series of challenges with lots of good things, lots of good things, but there's a lot of things which are very difficult to uh, to handle in life, in at work and at home with our health, series of challenges. I, I should preface all of this by saying that a, a really important book was written by an Australian, a palliative care nurse, Dave, and it was called the top five regrets of the dying. So she was taking care of people in the last few days or weeks, and she was hearing the same kind of regrets again and again. And the number one regret that she heard was this. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself and not the life that others expected of me. So my book is about developing courage so that we can do that, live lives that are authentic, they're ours, and so that we can avoid the number one regret of the dying. There are three human predicaments that get in the way of us achieving that. The first one is we all live in two worlds. So you and I live in the real world, this kind of solid world with 3D objects, with uh, microphones, and dodgy internet and all desks all the rest of it a solid world but we spend about 50 percent of our lives in our heads in an imaginary world in a kind of a virtual reality and animals don't do that they are pretty much here and now they react to what's real and what's actually happening in the moment but we've got this it's a skill but it's also a liability to imagine a better world and imagine terrible things that might happen on the way to that better world. So we're hugely influenced, unreasonably influenced by our imaginations. A friend of mine was trying on one of these VR headsets recently in an electrical store, virtual reality headsets. Mm -hmm. And he whacked the thing on and he was suddenly on top of a skyscraper, Dave. Whack, he was right at the top of the building on the edge. Okay, he was on the edge in this virtual reality and the salesman that was with him said just take two steps forward sir and although my friend was on the ground floor of a carpeted building right the ground floor and he knew that he knew it was safe his virtual reality said to step forward will mean certain death and he he could not get himself to step over the edge of the building it was that compelling even though he knew, he knew. Now, all of us are creating in our minds steep drops. We think about going for the relationships we like. We think about starting our, our own businesses, taking bold moves in our leadership, and our minds can conjure up what ifs, what ifs, and they hold us back. So the first human predicament is we have a very, very persuasive, virtual reality system that's the first predicament 
The second predicament is we live in a world of junk values, Dave, that erode our courage. So we're all being drip fed constantly, being drip fed messaging about how we're not enough. So advertising will say, well, you're not good looking enough. You're not attractive enough. You're not popular enough. You're not wealthy enough, whatever. You're not qualified enough. And that's how advertising generally works. Points out a gap, gives you a sense of need, and you go out and try to fill the need. Now, this is a, it, what this does, because it works, they don't spend this, these dollars for no reason. It erodes our sense of well-being and creates a sense of neediness, a general neediness. And as a result, all of us, even when you poo-poo the adverts, even when we try to look away, a part of us feels needy, feels less than, and it saps our courage very subtly but it, it saps our courage the other really unhelpful message from society is that you should you should cheer up you should always feel good it's really important to be positive it gets emphasized again and again we've all got to be positive all the time and we are encouraged not to feel negative so if someone asks you, Dave, how are you doing? How are you doing, Dave? There's only one socially appropriate answer. So how's Dave doing? Oh, I'm doing good, thanks. You're doing good. Yeah, of course you are. Great, fine, awesome. Some flavor of good. And it's prohibited to say, glad you asked. Glad you asked. Because actually, <laughs> actually, going through a bit of a rough, a rough patch, a bit worried about this pandemic, a bit worried about my relationship with my my partner's a bit worried about some new challenges at work. We, we have to deny that to others, but also we're encouraged by the culture we're in to deny it to ourselves. And this is the problem. We push away discomfort. We're not allowed to feel discomfort. We're not encouraged to, we push it away. And we've got into a, a, a habit now of self-soothing very quickly. You feel bad, you shouldn't feel bad. You deserve to feel good. Cheer up. It's like there's big bold letters on posters with an exclamation mark. Cheer up. It's, it's an order. And the, the reality is if you're going to be courageous in life, then you're going to have to experience a lot of discomfort. There are no courageous lives without some doubt, some uncertainty, some risk and vulnerability. If you're going to develop a personal relationship with someone you love, there is no certainty that, that you will begin or that it will succeed or that everything will go swimmingly well. All our greatest adventures in life, in business, in our careers and at home, all involve risk. So if I ask you, Dave, to look back at times in your life of which you are most proud, times when you, you really showed up in a way that you, you'd like to more often, I'm, I'm gonna guess that there was some element of risk involved, that you weren't lying on a beach drinking cool drinks in the sunshine. Uh, it was uh, risk and adversity, overcoming yep. that adversity. Right. Risk and adversity. And this is how we grow and become bigger versions of ourselves. We need to be able to be with the discomfort of risk and adversity. So a culture that tells us, no, you've got to stay feeling good. Absolutely. Look, you feel a bit stressed, have a drink, take some time out. Now we, we get soft. We need to learn skills to be with discomfort, not to be overwhelmed by it, not to be swept away by it, but to be honest, actually, yeah, right now I am feeling frustrated. I'm uh, feeling tired, I'm annoyed, whatever. We need to be honest. So that's the second predicament, a world that's giving you junk messages, junk messages. And the third one, I call this the biggest elephant, the biggest elephant. So the biggest elephant in the room is the fact that we are mortal creatures. All of us are mortal. We don't like to think about it. We try to push that inconvenient truth out of the way. 
But the reality is we only have a certain amount of time on the planet. And when we push away that inconvenient truth, we rob ourselves of a sense of urgency to live well and live boldly now while we can. So it's really vital. And humans are the only animals on earth that know from a very young age, we're going to die. Other animals don't, they, they can't look ahead. They can't see the, work it all out. Hang on, hang on a moment. This doesn't look good. <laughs> you can do that as a three or four year old, you can work out. You can see that pets die. You can imagine your parents dying. You can imagine yourself dying. So we have to live with that. And most of us, we push it right out of our minds. But as I say, there's a price. There's a really high, high price. You do that, you could procrastinate your life away. And we don't have the time. So those are the three human predicaments. We live in two worlds. We're fed junk values. And we refuse, well, we're very reluctant to actually acknowledge our mortality. But there's hope, Dave. I wouldn't want your listeners to think, oh, God, <laughs> he's right. There's nothing we can do. There's lots we can do. But what we need to do is address the predicaments, not just to use sheer willpower. So the, the go-to strategy that most people use to be courageous is, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to force myself. I've got a phone call to make. I don't want to make the call. I'm just going to force myself. Or they'll sort of put their fingers in their ears. No, I'm not going to think about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm, I'm not going to listen to that negative voice. I'll, I'll soothe myself. I'll ignore what's difficult. These are not emotionally intelligent, skillful responses. There's a better way to do it. So there's three mindsets that are going to support being bold, being courageous, and living a life true to yourself. And they target the three human predicaments. The first one is we need to develop a sense of defiant gratitude. The world wants to tell you that you're not enough, not qualified enough, attractive enough, popular enough, all the rest of it. The antidote to that is a sense of gratitude and appreciation for what we do have. A sense of appreciation for what we do have. This is old wisdom. So Epictetus, the Stoic philosopher said, you want to be happy? Learn to want what you already have. Now, the good news is we can enjoy what we already have, and it will not sap your drive to achieve more. There is no downside in enjoying what you have, your relationships, your opportunities, a world in which people can talk to each other across the planet, Dave, in real time with a few interruptions, perhaps, but we can still, we can still <laughs> mostly do it, right? Yeah. We live in an age of miracles and we take it all for granted. And it's normal that we, we, we habituate to what we have day in, day out. So the first thing we need to do, and this is such a valuable skill, is just two or three times a day, just for a few seconds to pause and enjoy whatever you have enjoy it people who don't practice enjoyment and i'm not talking about knocking back you know bottles of champagne but i'm talking about small pleasures savoring connections friendships the taste of a sandwich the feeling of sunshine on your skin small 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 things that happen in our lives People that don't practice pausing, coming to the present moment and enjoying the present moment, they can achieve all sorts of things in their life. They can climb the ladder of success. They can get the salary they want. They can get the partnership they want. But when they get to the end, if you have a career, a 30-year career, say, of not practicing enjoyment, you'll get there, you'll have it, and you won't be able to enjoy it. You'll get used to it you'll just be habituated to it and you'll say is that all there is what what was that for 
So there's no downside. There's no cost in actually enjoying what we all have right now while we're on our way to making things even better. So defiant gratitude emboldens the mind. Gratitude is a precursor to being courageous. That's number one. The second mindset is self-compassion. It's tough being a human. It, being a leader at any level of the organization is a tough gig. Even if you're not a leader, a formal leader, actually just being a, being a person with a human mind is a tough deal. Self-compassion is being kind towards yourself during tough times. You're, we're kind to our friends when they're going through tough times. We, we take care of them. We don't say cruel things to people when, when our friends are worried. When those we care about are going through difficult circumstances, we're kind. But people are seldom kind to themselves. We, we're self-critical. Well, get a grip. Get a grip, Eric, for goodness sakes. What are you like? And it feels like if we're critical, if we hit ourselves with a big stick, that somehow we will, our performance will go up. However, <laughs> you can only beat so much performance out of an employee. You know, they, it, they, by and large, you don't get loyalty and uh, they'll be out the, the first chance they get. And it's the same thing goes for ourselves. We can beat ourselves up, but the evidence shows our performance does not go up when we're self-critical. Kindness, paradoxically, supports higher performance when we're kind. We're not letting ourselves off the hook. We're just acknowledging, actually, you know what? This is difficult. Yeah, I'm just acknowledging it. Yeah, this, this is a, a hard gig I'm in at the moment. This is challenging. It's, it's really a very honest approach to life. We're not, in, we're not exaggerating. Oh, it's dreadful. Woe me. There's no way out of this. Not exaggerating, but we're also not minimizing. No, no, nothing wrong here. No, no, everything's fine. Everything's fine. We're taking this balanced middle way. And the world's foremost self-compassion researcher, Christine Neff, says self-compassion is composed of three elements. And one of them is being able to hold discomfort, not to exaggerate it and not to dismiss it, but to hold it in balanced awareness holding it in balance and awareness. And she calls it that mindfulness. And honestly noticing what's happening, holding it in balanced awareness. She says the other component of self-compassion is recognizing your common humanity. Advertising wants to suggest that you are different. You are isolated. Everyone else is having a great time. Social media will tell you this too. The rest of the world is having so much fun uh, and no wonder if we spend a lot of time watching advertising or looking at Facebook or Twitter or TikTok, we can end up feeling, oh, it's just me that's, uh, that's not having a fabulous time. There's something wrong with me. That's a, a huge lie. We're all in this human boat together. And I think it may be one of the few good things to come out of this worldwide pandemic is a sense of, yeah, you know what? We are all in this together, very much. We have this shared common human experience. When we feel isolated, it saps our courage. People are not courageous when they feel isolated. But when we feel like we belong, that we are a part of a community, we are emboldened. We just become physiologically more courageous. So we've got uh, common humanity, self-kindness and mindfulness. Put them together, they form self-compassion. That's the second mindset that we need to develop. And the third mindset, I call it courageous authenticity. It's to intentionally decide what matters to you. The world out there has got lots of ideas about what it thinks a person of your gender, of your age, of your skin color with a certain background, how you ought to be behaving. We get a lot of subtle messages about how society expects we should be showing up. And if we just try to conform to other people's expectations, 
to please others our whole lives, we will get to the end and we will share that number one regret for dying. Dang, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. It's our responsibility to author our own lives, to choose for ourselves. How am I gonna show up? What matters to me? Now, at times that will be very closely aligned with what your parents want, what your friends want, what your society wants. At other times it won't, it will diverge and there will be discomfort. So this final mindset, courageous authenticity, is taking on the responsibility to craft your own life and understanding that there will be a price of discomfort in living it and being willing to pay the price, being willing to feel uncomfortable, being willing to ask for what you want with the discomfort that you might not get it, being willing to say no to certain things in life. People perhaps want more of your time. I've got other ideas for how you should be living. At times saying no, being willing to be yourself even when that's different. So courageous authenticity is a willingness to pay the price of discomfort when your path veers off from what others. And that's a set of skills. We can learn to be with discomfort, not to exaggerate it, not to minimize it. There are skills, uh, psychological skills, where, where you, can, you can be with uh, discomfort without it overwhelming you. We mentioned earlier on about my friend with his VR set headset. Of course, when he was finished, he could take off the VR headset and hold it in his hands. While it was on his face, it had a lot of influence over him. When he learnt, learnt when he just took off the headset, that virtual reality was still in the headset, but he was now holding it. And he had a lot more choice over what he did. He was less influenced by it. We can do the same thing with unhelpful thoughts and feelings. We can learn in a way to take them off and to hold them and to look at them and to choose what we're going to do. While we've got the, while we're in our thoughts, they have a lot of influence over us, which sometimes is going to be helpful, but other times is going to hold us back from stepping forward. So there are skills that everyone can learn to separate from this virtual reality, from these uncomfortable feelings, and to become an observer of them. And then you can choose. And that's what mature leadership is. It's not acting out of impulse or avoidance or being defensive. It's choosing to take a path that is aligned with your values, that's aligned with the direction that you want to move in. And it's a skill that we can all develop. Now, how are the, the three mindsets um, that you just laid out, how is that different from the three critical foundations? Yes, yeah. So a lot of the people I work with want to immediately go to uh, psychological mind hacks Tell me how I can be courageous. I need a, I need a quick 15 second way of putting myself into a, into a, I want a power pose perhaps, or I want to have something that makes me courageous. The reality is that there are foundations to being courageous and being bold and leading well, which are absolutely prerequisite to living well. And the three foundations, and these, are, these aren't going to excite people, but they matter. There's, there's no point attending to mindsets before you've attended to these. The first thing is, these, these, this is your physiological base. So you and I, we're animals, very special animals, but we're still, we're still animals. And our ability to live courageously depends upon three things. How well we sleep, our movement and what we eat. The most impactful of these is our sleep. Every night, 
when we have our REM sleep, and it happens about five times a night, we have dream sleep, rapid eye movement sleep. During REM sleep, and only during REM sleep, our minds all get an, an emotional intelligence makeover, Dave. Your emotional circuits are tuned during REM sleep. So if you don't get high quality REM sleep, you will, the next morning, be a little bit more reactive, a bit more tetchy, you will jump to conclusions, you will surrender to impulses, your ability to choose has been compromised because you didn't get your REM sleep, not because you're flawed or weak or defective, not just because you, you're starting from a platform, a physiological platform of reactivity. So we absolutely have to prioritize high quality sleep in our lives. The last thing I'd like to underline about this is that the REM sleep, which is so important for your ability to choose and not be reactive and surrender to urges, that REM sleep, there's more of it towards the late part of the night, not the early part. So if you cheat yourself of the last hour of your sleep, and most people need about eight hours sleep to operate at their best, if you cheat yourself of that last hour, there's disproportionate amounts of REM sleep in the last hour. The first hour, the REM is kind of small, but towards the end of the night, they're longer periods. We need to prioritize our sleep. Now, I know you'll have listeners listening to this and they'll be going, hang on, but you know, I'm doing great work on six hours a night. Thank you very much. I'm doing great work. And to them, I'd say, I believe you you do even greater work if you could give yourself more sleep and of a higher quality. You'd be even better. You'd be even more effective. You'd come to, you'd make more decisions more effectively. You would see more. You'd be less impulsive. Every one of us operates better when we get the sleep that we need. So uh, that's the, the first thing, sleep. The second thing was movement. Our brains, in a sense, they only exist so that we can move. If you're a tree or an anemone in the sea sitting on a rock, you don't need a brain. Stationary creatures tend not to have brains. They don't need to navigate through the world. They don't need to avoid dangers and they don't need to move towards opportunities. So humans, or not humans, all animals, all animals, they only develop brains in order to move. And it turns out the movement itself puts the brain in a high performance state. And I don't know if you've noticed this, that you've had, you've come up with good ideas, Dave, from time to time, whilst walking, perhaps whilst moving somewhere, not maybe cycling, but just movement. We, we think well while we move. Some folk will say, well, okay, look, I just need to run at, at either end of the day then. I'll sit at my desk during the day, but I, I'll get in a good half hour solid running before, and I'll run for half an hour at the end of the day. They kind of bookmark, or not bookmark, they, they sandwich their days. But that's not how the brain works best. We need to move throughout the day. So yeah, every 40 minutes or so, we need to be up and just moving a little, just a little but we need to move throughout the day. When we move, and especially if we move at a bit of a pace, we release chemicals into the bloodstream called myokines, which researchers call the hope molecule. They call it the hope molecule because these myokines that are released make you feel more hopeful. They make you more positive. They make you bolder. So if you want to be bold, throughout your working life. And I imagine we all, we all do. We don't be retiring back into our comfort zones. We need to be operating outside a lot of the time of our comfort zones. We are gonna need hope. We're gonna need positivity. We're gonna need some buoyancy. Movement doesn't cost anything. So you won't see a lot of adverts for this, Dave. You'll see a lot of adverts for shoes and t-shirts and things to run with, but just movement. We can all move in the clothes we've already got. 
and it will elevate the mind. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is the food. And the food we eat has a significant impact upon our mood. Significant. And weirdly enough, it's not so much the food that we feed ourselves, but the food that we pass down to feed our inner gut biome. We've all got these uh, little healthy gut bacteria. We hear about them. There are the healthy gut bacteria, but there are also the unhealthy gut bacteria. And they love sugar. They just adore sugar. And unfortunately, when we get a lot of those sugar-loving gut uh, uh, bacteria, they secrete uh, chemicals which will lower our mood. It's natural to feel slightly depressed, a little bit flat, a little bit listless if you have a very high carb or high sugar diet. And it's because the life inside of us changes. But when we feed it, and it's all the usual stuff, if we can feed it, you know, high quality protein and a lot of veg, fiber, the good bacteria adore fiber. Vegetables, fiber, but every, we all know this. We all know this. It's the stuff you already know is good for you. But it's not just good for you, for your hands and your bones and your brain. It's good for the life that's inside of you. And that life is always secreting neurochemicals which change your mood so we need to we need to sleep if we're going to be courageous this is the foundation we've got to sleep well we've got to move in our lives and we need to nourish ourselves and the ecosystem that lives in our gut you're uh, astonishingly dave you are only 50 percent human now, from where I'm sitting, you look pretty much all human. Uh, it's a kind light. But it turns out that half of, the, half of the living cells in your body, Dave, are not human at all. They're these little gut bacteria. Half of the living cells in you are other little bugs inside our gut. And we feed them every time we have a meal. So have a heart, would you? and feed those, those little guys something that's going to nourish them well. And they will say thank you. This is it. You give them something, some veg, some leafy greens, some, I don't know, fish, what have you. They will thank you. So that, those are the, the three foundations which, uh, which I encourage all of my clients to attend to first. They're all eager to learn these uh, mind hacks. But you know what? It does not matter what clever little techniques you've got. If you've had a bad night's sleep, if you're eating junk and you're stationary all day, it, you, you are fighting a losing battle. That's what we need to attend to first. In your book, you, you address all of these things, and I'm, I would imagine you go into greater detail. This all came just based on your experiences you it it's what kind of led you on this path to do the research and and gather all of this information so dave i've immersed myself in two masters degrees of human behavior and human performance i've taken a really deep dive but all of this stuff i'd learned i found that it wasn't being communicated very clearly to the public in a very accessible way so swipe right on your best self my book is a fluff free book for people who haven't got very much time and want to get to useful information quickly the chapters are short everyone has a, a condensed summary at the end it's a very easy read it's it's also a very funny read so i quite like books which are funny so i thought what the heck i'll write a funny book too so it's a quick read it's impactful it's packed full of really practical strategies that we can all implement to avoid that number one regret of the dying, to dial up our courage in professional life and personal life. I would urge all of my listeners to go out and get the, get your book. The best way for them to do so would be to go to your website, ericwinters.com.au. If they're based in Australia, then yes, uh, ericwinters.com.au is the place to go because uh, I can provide a signed copy 
and then we'll get that in the post and you'll have it in no time. But if you're outside of Australia, you're much better off in uh, ordering it online from any bookseller. So it's available through all booksellers in paper form or in uh, as an ebook. So there's a Kindle version uh, as well. Awesome. How about yeah. audio version? Well, I've been encouraged to create an audio version and it's on the my to-do list for December. I think I might do that in December, Dave. Uh, perhaps I should also mention that if people are just curious at this moment, and think, oh, I, I'm not sure this, this book might be of interest. If you go to my website, ericwinters.com.au, you can download the first 20% of the book for free. And you'll know within the first page, that's my commitment, you'll know within the first page if this is the kind of book that you're going to enjoy or not. So I encourage people to download the start of the book. Have a look for yourself. Yeah, and I, I just, there's, there's so many things that, that you hit on in this brief conversation that, you know, you mentioned Epictetus and, mm. um, you know, Stoic philosophy, but there, there are so many things that you mentioned that, and you, you even said it yourself that it's, it's old wisdom. It's, but it's very practical and. I like the fact that you've got a sense of humor and uh, I would imagine it comes out pretty well in your book. Yes, I enjoy a laugh and I enjoy sharing, sharing a laugh with my readers. Yes, and you're so right. A lot of this wisdom, a lot of the stuff that I've learned, you know, through my, my academic deep dive, some of it's new, but the, uh, the bulk of it, you know, the, a huge amount of it, it's been known for thousands of years. It's, we didn't need randomized control trials to work it out. Those Greek and Roman philosophers, especially the Stoics, they were very emotionally intelligent people. They were on the ball. They yeah. were. And I, I, I love discovering that, that, uh, that the, the, people, the people that we are today, they were just the same in the past. You know, they were, they were just like us. They're exactly the same kind of brains as us. They had the same challenges as us. Uh, they chased the wrong things in life. They made the same sort of mistakes. And great thinkers have come up with a lot of wonderful strategies, which I've included in the book. Uh, there's, there's one quick one I'd like to share, if I may. And I know I've used Absolutely. up a lot of you. Yeah, it's no, a no. quick one. And I just love this. And it's, I call this the ultimate gratitude exercise. Okay, the ultimate gratitude exercise. And it's this, in life, at some point of our life, we will do everything for the last time. You'll have your last hamburger, you, know, you watch your last movie, you'll see someone for the last time. Everything, of course, will be done at some point for the last time. But the reality is we've already done some things for the last time. There are streets that we've walked down that will never walk down again, perhaps traveling to other cities or countries. There are restaurants we've eaten in that we will never eat in again. There are people we've met that we will never see again, but we didn't know it at the time that it was the last time. So this exercise, it's just a couple of times a day, is to do something that you do on a regular basis, something that's quite ordinary, perhaps like having a cup of coffee. Do you drink coffee, Dave? Or are you a tea person or you like a coffee? Uh, yes, sir. Great. And it's just and it, just a, a thought experiment. Imagine you, when you have your coffee, you have it as though it was the last coffee you were ever going to have. Perhaps the, the bean harvest is going to fail. Something, something you don't need to, that's not part of the experiment, working out why. But what if, yeah, what if this was my very last coffee? I've got a long life ahead of me, but this is the last coffee. Here we go. Well, how much attention would you give that coffee? How much attention would you give to the flavor, to the taste, to the aroma of the coffee? How present would you be to that experience? This exercise, experiencing something as though it was for the last time, massively dials up our gratitude, appreciation, and awe. 
And it means that the next time you have a coffee, you will enjoy it even more. It's powerful. Yeah. No, that's tell you, really interesting. The last time and experience it as though it, it emerges out of the field of, of Stoic philosophy to uh, the Stoics were great believers that we we devalue or we undervalue the minutes of our lives. There's nothing more precious. It's irreplaceable. And yet we will squander it willingly. We'll we'll you know, all of us. It's me, too. It's not like I'm saying everybody else. No, no, me too. At times, we squander our minutes. And there's nothing more precious that we have. So it, it pays for us when we are experiencing something that's good in life to savor it, to truly taste it, to be present. When you're talking to loved ones or working with colleagues that you admire, be with them and just drink in a sense of appreciation. Not just because it feels good and it does feel good, but also because it will elevate your courage. It actually emboldens us. The more there's, there's something about savoring and valuing and appreciating that puts us on a firm foundation in life. If we're operating from a, an impoverished neediness, in life, a fearful neediness, that is not a strong foundation for choosing well, for boldly moving ahead in professional or personal life. We need a strong foundation and gratitude is a, a great strategy for bolstering our foundation. And that ultimate gratitude exercise is, is the most powerful way I've found, just for 15 seconds, twice a day, that's all, to imagine the tree you're looking at, imagine this was the last tree. I'd never see bark or leaves ever again. Wow. And everything, you can apply it to everything. It makes even mundane experiences quite extraordinary. I, I really like the way that you explain that because until you said it, it's a stoic practice, it didn't occur to me. But like Seneca wrote about it, Marcus Aurelius, oh. they all wrote about it. Yep. And yep. they knew. Yeah. They 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 knew and they banged on about it. Guys, you've got to value your time. Stop squandering your time. There's nothing more precious. And but that, uh, that it, practice of experiencing something as though it's the last time you're going to experience it really brings it home for me, the way you explained it. It, great. And that's what I love doing in my workshops and my talks, finding ways to take ideas out of books and come up with practical little exercises that we can use in real life, simple things that can just increase our performance, put us into a, a higher performing mindset. Oh, that's fantastic. Man, it I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. And this has been awesome talking with you in Sydney. Here I am in Orlando. And, you know, other than a couple of little blips, went off without a hitch. And I, no, I'm, I'm looking forward to, well, I'll tell you, I, I already did get your ebook. I just haven't, uh, haven't started it. I'm <laughs> like, <laughs> I've got so many books I'm working on. It's a oh. poor excuse, but uh, I, I'm having had this conversation with you, just moved up uh, I, to, like I, if it was on audio, I'd be listening to it tomorrow. Um, but when I, uh, and, and you got to do it in your own voice. Cause I, yeah. that would be brilliant. I will. I will. I promise I will, but it won't be for a, a few months. It's, uh, it's an, a non-trivial exercise recording an entire, entire book, but I, I will do it. I will, I will. No, that, that would be great. Cause uh, like when I, when I don't have the time to sit down and, and dedicate to reading at least a couple of chapters, I tend to go, all right, well, let me see if it's on audio and yeah. uh, sure. You know, and the, the benefit of that is like when I'm writing with my daughter, you know, we go and visit family and stuff. 
I like to share some of these things that I'm, I'm reading or researching, and then we get a, an opportunity to talk about it. That's a, a lovely idea. That's a, yeah, it is, it is a great way of, uh, of sharing. What I would say, Dave, is my book is, is very, very small, and the chapters, some of them are like three pages long. You, you will, it, it's a two and a half hour read. So you do not feel daunted by my okay. little book and start in the acknowledgements. It all starts in the acknowledgements. It's not really just acknowledgements. I begin the story there. All right, cool. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll begin it tonight then. Yeah, let me know what you think. I'm, I'm gonna watch my mail. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, thank you so much, Eric. This has been great. And I, I urge all of my, my listeners to, to go out, uh, you know, download it or, or purchase it and um, visit your website. I, I will have your website in the show notes so people can just go there and click on the link. Um, and I also have this you know, it, on uh, my YouTube channel, so it will be audio and video. And before it's published, I'll, I'll make sure that you've got those links, so. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please like and subscribe to my YouTube channel. Follow me on your favorite podcast platform and visit hollenbachleadership.com for additional content. My goal is and always will be to add value to as many people as possible. So if I can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with me via email or on one of my social media accounts linked on the homepage of my website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them, and the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.